Today's lesson is Saul, the failed king. We find this in 1 Samuel chapters 13 through 15. Now, following Jabesh Gilead's deliverance, the people in the Lord's presence installed Saul as king of Israel, and Samuel gave his final public speech as the leader and judge over Israel. Saul was now the Lord's anointed man, the highest representative of the Lord's will and work. But before long, the once fearful, humble leader accumulated power and grew increasingly deaf to God's voice. Saul listened to himself or to the people of Israel more than he listened to God. The Lord tested Saul's faithfulness with a series of commands, and Saul's responses reveal the condition of his heart and his unfitness for ruling God's people. It appears King Saul would not have done well at playing Simon Says. You remember the game Simon Says as a child, where you have to if Simon says, move two steps forward, you move. But if someone just says, move two steps forward, you don't. Well, it really, I don't think King Saul would have done very well at this. Because as we'll discover in our study today, Saul had trouble following the Lord's instructions. Opting to do things his way, in the end, his actions revealed the true condition of Saul's heart. But... 1 Samuel was not written merely to record history. Before we judge Saul too harshly, we need to ask this question. Am I obeying God's word? Now, the first point in this lesson is the people's king acts apart from the Lord. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 5-9, through 9, and then following up with verses 13-14. through 14. The Philistines also gathered to fight against Israel. 3,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and troops as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of beth Aven. The men of Israel saw that they were in trouble because the troops were in a difficult situation. They hid in caves, in thickets, among rocks, and in holes and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, however, was still at Gilgal, and all his troops were gripped with fear. He waited seven days for the appointed time that Samuel had set, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the troops were deserting him. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering. Now, verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, You've been foolish. You've not kept the command of the Lord your, your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you, you have not done what the Lord commanded. So having been installed as king over Israel, Saul began to assemble a formal army 
now that the kingdom was under his control. Saul's son Jonathan led his troops to attack the Philistines stationed at Gibeah, Saul's hometown. Well, this was a moral-boosting, morale-boosting victory for Israel. It stirred the hornet's nest. Sensing war was at hand, Saul called the men of Israel to join the army at Gilgal to defend against a Philistine counterattack. But as Israel quickly found out, the Philistines had come locked and loaded. They had the latest military technology, and they were great in number. When the Israelite soldiers saw that they were outmanned, some panicked and hid themselves in any nook and cranny that they could find. Others opted to run away, even crossing the Jordan River and heading for the hills. Saul's army was being decimated by an army that had not even begun to fight. The men of Israel witnessed uh, witnessed so many miraculous works of God, um, but they forgot all about the Lord, and then they trembled in fear. They forgot that the battle actually belonged to the Lord and that the Lord had promised to fight for his people, if they would only trust and obey. When we dwell on the problems and temptations of life, more than we meditate on God and his truth, we also succumb to our fears. Even though the same power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells within us as believers, and even though Christ promised never to leave or forsake us, we can grow anxious and contract God amnesia. But God's most faithful and courageous servants are those who bank on the everlasting faithfulness of God. During this time, Saul sat anxiously in Gilgal, the city where he was installed as king. He was waiting for Samuel to arrive to sacrifice the burnt offering and fellowship offerings to the Lord, and then to tell them what to do. Samuel had previously commanded Saul to wait seven days for him. Day after day passed, but Samuel did not show. Now seeing an imminent attack by the Philistines and the Israelite army scattering and dwindling, Saul forced himself on day seven to act. In other words, Saul made a very foolish, sinful choice to ignore God's instruction through Samuel and to impatiently offer sacrifices to himself. Saul was more concerned about getting a religious ritual out of the way so he could get what he needed from God than seeking the Lord in humble worship and reverent obedience. The result was not good. How often do we pray and ask God for a miracle and give up in the last moments of the time, time thinking that we have no other choice when God is ready to come and deliver us right, maybe the, possibly the next day even, just like this. God was, Samuel was on his way, but Saul chose to act at the last moment with his instincts and he sinned against God. And I think we today often do that. We don't give God the opportunity to answer the prayer. Shortly after Saul made the burnt offering, and before he could sacrifice any fellowship offerings, Samuel showed up. The aging prophet then had the duty to inform Saul that his family line would not keep the throne because of this disobedience. 
Instead, the kingship would go to a man after God's own heart. Saul not only failed to heed God's command, but also did what the Lord had not commanded. He justified his actions by making excuses after excuses. In this, Saul sounded a lot like another excuse maker from Genesis chapter 3. Just like Adam blamed God and Eve, Saul went as far as to blame Samuel's tardiness for his disobedience. This is neither the attitude nor the behavior of a godly leader. A man after God's own heart is one who fears the Lord and is driven to obey his word, no matter how inconvenient it may seem, and who repents when he's fallen short. While David was an immediate fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy, the ultimate fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ, the true and perfect man after God's own heart. Through his total obedience, God's plan to save his people was fulfilled. And as those, and as those called to imitate Christ, we would do well to ask this question. Am I seeking to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Or am I just checking the boxes to get what I want? Only obedience from the heart will do. Saul's action may seem like a minor mistake, but it really revealed a deeper problem. A problem of the heart Yet before we condemn Saul, we need to observe the trajectory of his life as we take inventory of our own. Now the second point of this lesson is the people's king disobeys the instructions of the Lord. And we're going to find this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 13 through 21. When Samuel came to him, Saul said, May the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Samuel replied, Then what is this sound of sheep? goats and cattle I hear. Saul answered, The troops brought them from the Amal Amalekites and spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Your God, but the rest we destroy. Stop! exclaimed Samuel. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, he replied. Samuel continued, Although you once considered yourself unimportant, haven't you become the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and then sent you on a mission and said, Go and completely destroy the sinful Amalekites. Fight against them until you've annihilated them. So why didn't you obey the Lord? Why did you rush on the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul answered. I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites. The troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. In spite of Saul's disobedience and rashness as a leader, the Israelites were able to defeat and repel the Philistines with the Lord's help, though they would continue to contend with them throughout Saul's reign. Saul's next task from the Lord, given through Samuel, 
was to completely destroy the Amalekites. No person or animal was to be spared. This may seem harsh, but God was judging the Amalekites for warring against his fledgling people soon after they crossed the Red Sea into the wilderness. God's judgment at that time was complete destruction, and now, a few centuries later, the punishment was due. But as the story reveals, Saul only partially obeyed God, which really means he completely disobeyed God. Saul gathered his army and struck down the Amalekites, but he captured their king Agag alive and spared the best of the animals. The Lord saw this offense and informed Samuel of his displeasure and regret for making Saul the king. Though the Lord is not a man that he, that he regrets or changes his mind, we still regret is the best human term we can apply to the situation for the Lord. So Samuel sought out the king where he'd heard the evidence himself. Whether ignorant or calculating, Saul attempted to frame his actions as being obedient to God, but he was so sadly mistaken. The sounds of animals in the camp were enough to highlight his disobedience to God's explicit command. Yet Saul persisted with two excuses. First, that the troops had done this. And second, that the purpose for preserving the animals was for a sacrifice for the Lord. Saul sought to cloak his partial obedience in the garb of religiosity. But neither the Lord nor Samuel were persuaded. Saul's partial obedience showed that something else occupied the throne of his heart, most likely himself. Saul's excuses to Samuel in this passage seem laughable to the reader. Doesn't he see and hear what he's done? But how often have we justified our own partial obedience, done with our own hands and in our hearts? Then we see Samuel say, Stop! Samuel had had enough in that moment. He had already heard straight from the all-knowing God who was always truthful with the, what the circumstances were, both these, those evident to the eyes and ears and those hidden in the heart. He arrived not to be deceived by Saul, but as a deliverer of the Lord's message of rebuke. Saul's life story was not one of rags to riches except for in Saul's self-perception. His journey of elevation began in fear and humility. Once he had thought little of himself, but now that he was the Lord's anointed king, there seemed to be no end of Saul's thinking of himself. Though the Lord had raised him up to the throne and given him a mission, he chose not to obey his divine benefactor. Instead, he eyed the plunder of the Amalekites and took the best of it, doing an evil thing in the Lord's sight, because he was supposed to destroy it all. Saul had been caught red-handed. The Lord and his prophet pointed out the problem and identified the heart behind the matter. But rather than confessing his sin, Saul once again defended himself, redefining words and shifting blame. He claimed to have completely destroyed the Amalekites and even had King Agag as a prisoner of war. Perhaps he saw the king as, a dis as distinct and above his people, and the animals pr uh, present were the work of the soldiers for a sacrifice to the Lord. 
how telling it is that twice Saul justified this action as an offering to the Lord your God instead of our God or my God. Somehow, Saul had reinterpreted a command to annihilate as an instruction to mostly destroy. But put simply, Saul had rejected the word of the Lord to the extent that his conscience was calloused to his sin. He couldn't see it, acknowledge it, or turn from it. Rather, he doubled down, pleading his innocence as the evidence of his guilt filled his own eyes, ears, and nose. And this resulted in a loss of everything he had received from the hand of the Lord. Now, it's important for us to understand God's immutability. Because God is the perfect fullness of life, love, and glory, infinite in knowledge and existing outside of time, His absolute being and self-attesting moral character are incapable of change or regret. In other words, God is unchangeably great and immovably good. He cannot change or dismiss according to his infinite essence, triune personhood, sovereign purposes, or steadfast promises. As we see in Saul, it is the nature of sin to blind us to reality. Therefore, God's people must be vigilant in their fight against sin, knowing that sin's consequences are far more devastating than we could ever imagine. The third point in this lesson is the people's king is rejected by the Lord. We find this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 to 23. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Okay, we see this word divination. In ancient times, people practiced divination to aid in making decisions predicting the future, reading omens, and determining the will of the gods. Means of divination included examining dreams, the weather, various aspects of nature, the behavior of animals, and the internal organs of dead animals. Divination was forbidden by God in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 10. This summary conclusion by Samuel could be one of the most illuminating as well as one of the most haunting passages in all of the Bible. Having heard enough of Saul's excuses, Samuel stopped the king in his tracks. He then asked a rhetorical question. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? The answer, of course, is absolutely not. No. Burnt offerings and sacrifices were intended to restore the relationship between God and a disobedient sinner, not replace the need for a person to obey the Lord. But in case Saul still did not understand the purpose of the rhetorical question, 
Samuel then explicitly stated that the ritual sacrifice, apart from obedience, is absolutely meaningless. To obey is so much better. Why, you ask? Because God does not want lip service or more religious observance. He wants the heart. And still Samuel took it a step further. He described Saul's choice to spare a gag and the best of the animals as rebellion, an equivalent to the sin of divination or witchcraft. Saul's defiance was no small matter that could be passed over, covered up, or swept under the rug. Rather, it was akin to the wickedness and idolatry, taking Saul's words at face value. His attempt to honor God with sacrifices was dishonoring to God because he was seeking to honor a false God whose word didn't matter. For this rebellion, this treason, God rejected Saul as the king of Israel. Now, we have an essential doctrine number six is, is clarity of Scripture. And that's important for us to understand because God gave us his word as authoritative in all matters related to life and faith. We believe his word was written in a way that can be understood with the help of the Holy Spirit. Believing the scriptures are clear does not mean that every part is equally easy to interpret. Neither does it mean we will never make mistakes in our interpretation. It does mean that God, with God's help, People are capable of understanding the biblical text for themselves as they employ correct methods of interpretation. Now let's talk about the gospel for a minute. In this story, we've seen just how seriously God takes sin, whether large or small in our eyes. So that's important that we should ask ourselves, Am I offering heartfelt obedience to God or merely just to religion? As the Apostle James exhorted, be doers of the words and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Holiness is vital to the believer's life. In fact, a Christian who does not pursue holiness is in contradiction or he's a deception since God himself caused his children to be holy because I am holy. But only the obedience of faith pleases God. Yet, as we all know, none of us is perfect. In fact, we're very far from it. We are all vile sinners who often rebel against God's word. We justify our sinful actions and downplay their significance. We even try to balance our ledgers with good works, to offset the bad. But no amount of church attendance, doing good, being a good person is going to save us. Prayer cannot even save us. Reading the Bible can't save us. There is only one thing that can save us, and that's through God's grace received through the faith in Jesus Christ That's the only way we can achieve salvation. Our faith in Jesus Christ, which results in salvation. Saul intended to make sacrifices, but his sin marred their effectiveness and purpose. 
God instituted sacrifices in the Old Testament as a means of freeing his people from the judgment they earned with their sin, a temporary atonement that pointed forward to something else. Sacrifices were never meant to justify the Israelites' sins, as Saul seemed to think of them. But there was one sacrifice given that would justify sinners. And every other sacrifice pointed to this one made by Jesus Christ on the cross at the cost of his very own life, which was marked by perfect obedience. Now, because of this wonderful work of Christ that is the gospel, God is looking for a sacrifice from believers. God wants us to be a living sacrifice, a holy people who worship the Lord and obey his will and and that is revealed to us in his word. Saul rejected the word of the Lord to his ruin. The prophet Samuel's instructions were the explicit commands of God, clear and simple, but Saul twisted them in his sin to fulfill his own will. We as believers, however, should cherish and obey God's word. For with the scriptures, God has given us a great gift. His commands and prohibitions reveal truth about how we should operate in the world. He created his word. He created the world. His word recounts the history of his just and gracious actions toward humanity. And the Bible is inspired and illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And it points us to Jesus Christ and makes us wise to salvation by faith in him. I want to close today with a voice from church history. This is Thomas Hooker, who lived from 1586 to 1647. Mark what I say, a faithful man is a fruitful man. When a man will say he hath faith, and in the meantime can be content to be idle and unfruitful in the work of the Lord, can, can he, he content be a dead Christian? Let him know that his that his case is marvelously marvelously fearful. For if faith were in him, indeed it would appear, you you cannot keep your good hearts to yourselves. Wherever fire is, it will burn. And wherever faith is, it cannot be kept secret. Let's close in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, and I just lift up everyone who listens to this message, that you would just bless them and send your Holy Spirit to comfort and guide them. And if there's anyone who does not know Jesus today, Lord, I just ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to them and just guide them through the process of accepting Jesus as their Savior. And for those of us who do know Jesus as our Savior, Lord, I just ask you to give us a revival of the and have the fire of the Holy Spirit reignite us so that we can go out and share this glorious news that Jesus Christ was died and raised again for our sins and to bring us closer to you. And Lord, I pray for those who are sick and hurting today that you would just be with them and comfort them and raise them up and restore them. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.